0: Okay, well it's great to be here with you. It's rare for a lectern to be put up for me rather than be lowered for me. Um, it's really great to be here with you. We had um, Steve come and speak in Hastings a few weeks ago and so Stephen and Kaz spent the whole day with us and it was such a tremendous blessing to us as a church. So I just want you to know that, that um, when they came to us it just really did us so much good. It's really helped propel us forward as a church in the area of missions. So we're really grateful that you gave them up. Um, for us one Sunday. And now it's great to be able to be over here with you guys as well. I've been looking forward to this uh, for some time. And although I'm kind of speaking about God's heart for the poor, it's really a bit broader than that. And I'd like to just speak about the mercy of God for us. And so if you're someone who's here this morning and you think, I need the mercy of God, or I don't know the mercy of God, then there's good news for you this morning. Because There's mercy available to you, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter who you are, there is mercy available to you this morning. But I want to just dive straight in and tell you about a friend of mine. Um, My friend Jo, six years ago, died in a car accident, and she was in her 30s. She worked for a church, um, and she was cycling to work when she was hit by a lorry. She was hit by a truck. Um, the driver of the truck was arrested for causing death by dangerous driving. What happened was he had basically reversed around a corner in a, um, a re- residential area and he had really no excuse for what had happened. He had rear view mirrors, um, he had uh, the blind spot mirrors, you know, that help you so that there isn't a blind spot behind you, but he also had cameras um, showing him the back, what was behind his lorry. So there was really no reason why he should have uh, reversed over my friend Joe as she was cycling to work. And there were other drivers there who were kind of hooting their horns, who were um, yelling through their car windows at him to stop. And he was oblivious to it all. He didn't hear any of it. He didn't um, see what was happening until it was too late. And he had basically driven over my friend Joe. Now, when it came to the court case, he said that he was guilty... Uh, he didn't really have much choice about that. And the judge said to him that uh, when you come back for sentencing, I need you to know that you are facing a prison sentence. You are going to be going to prison for what you have done. But after he said this, my friend Joe's parents wrote to the judge and they said to the judge, we're Christians and we would like you to show mercy to the man who's killed our daughter we don't see any purpose in him going to prison and we want you to show mercy because it won't bring our daughter back by him going to prison. Because of the letter that Joe's parents wrote to the judge, when they came back for sentencing, he actually uh, read out the letter and he said to the driver, because they've asked me to show mercy to you, I'm not going to send you to prison. He still lost his license. There were still consequences for his actions, but the judge said to him, I'm not going to send you to prison because they've asked me to show mercy. And this was covered in local newspapers in Oxford, where she was living, uh, but it was also covered by the national press. In fact, the Daily Mail ran with the headline, Death Driver Shown Mercy. And the reason it made headlines is because this kind of mercy is so rare in our society today. It's not something that we see around us. And, you know, what I find even more astonishing is that the judge said to the driver Joe's parents have recognised how this has affected you isn't that astonishing Joe's parents have recognised how this has affected you I'm a Christian too but if I'm honest with you I'm not sure that that's what I'd be thinking about I don't know if I would be that merciful under the same circumstances I think I'd be thinking about how it had affected me how it had affected my life, my family. I don't know if it would even cross my mind to be pondering how it had affected the person who'd taken someone so precious to me, so loved by me, away from me. But my friend's parents were so aware of the mercy that Jesus had had for them that they wanted to extend that same mercy even to this guy who caused them such grief and pain and took their only daughter from them. The word mercy isn't commonly used today. If you try and think, when was the last time you heard a politician use the word mercy? When was the last time we heard it in the media, other than in headlines like this? It's not something we see in celebrity culture or in business or even in education. Sometimes it's a word we don't even hear that much in the church. But actually, the word mercy is supposed to be a defining feature of the church, It's supposed to be one of the distinctives, one of the things that sets us apart from the rest of the world. Not that we're the only ones who can show mercy, but we should be those who show it beyond where anyone else does. We should be those who, having known the incredible mercy of God for us, then want to extend it to other people. And actually, the real thing about mercy is, when we really look at it, it is outrageous and it is radical because by its very nature, it's given to those who don't deserve it. Like the driver who killed my friend, he had no right to expect any... But because of the mercy of Jesus that had been shown to Joe's parents, they were able to pour it out on this guy who had no right to expect it and who didn't deserve it at all. And for those of us here who are followers of Jesus we have this amazing privilege that we get to be mercy bringers. We get to be those who can be compassion carriers into the communities around us, into the people who we encounter on a day-by-day basis. And when we look at the Bible, we see that actually his heart is especially towards the poorest and the most vulnerable. It's interesting, even while we were worshipping this morning, I was thinking about that verse in the Bible that says, a bruised reed he will not break. Our God is so gentle and merciful. And it doesn't say, if you got bruised through no fault of your own, I won't break you. It's no, it's any bruised reed I will not break. You know, Jubilee Plus, the charity I work for that Steve mentioned, every year we run a survey to see what churches are doing in their communities to help the poorest and the most vulnerable. And churches like yours and like mine, we've seen over the last decade really, since the global recession and since austerity, that churches like ours are stepping up and we're doing more to help the poorest in our communities. And actually, um, Ghibli Plus research shows that there are over 1 million volunteers in church-based social action projects in the UK. Over a million volunteers. And that churches in the UK spent... Two years ago, spent £393 million in one year alone. On care for the poor. I'm so proud that we do that, but we see the need around us growing and growing and growing, and there's even more that we need to do. And even though we've stepped up and we are doing more, there's an interesting question that I think lingers in our society, which is this. Are we supposed to help everyone who comes to us and asks us to help them? In 21st century Britain, Are some of the people in poverty kind of just there by their own doing? Should we help them? Should we help them if they've got themselves into this mess? Should we help them if, as some of the media would tell us, they're just scrounging, they just want to live on benefits? How are we as Christians to respond to this? Because we see images of starving children in Africa. I think it's going to come up on the screen uh, behind me. And something in our hearts is rightly moved to have compassion. Something in our hearts rightly goes, God, what can I do about this? How can I help? But then there's people like this, a guy who I met in San Francisco, who was holding up a sign saying, why lie? I want beer. How are we supposed to respond? If you're a follower of Jesus here today, how are you supposed to respond to him? Because most of us, if we're truly honest, something very different happens in our hearts when we see him. I bumped into him in the street in San Francisco as I was preparing to write the book, The Myth of the Undeserving Poor. It felt like a moment in God where God put this guy in front of me, holding up this sign saying, why lie, I want beer, and God challenging me, what are you going to do about that? How are you going to respond to him? Because poverty in the Western world is, is complicated, isn't it? It's complex. Am I, as a Christian, supposed to help everyone who asks for money, even if they're holding up a sign saying they're going to spend it on beer? You know, we live in a culture and a society where we see newspaper headlines that come up that tell us that people are skiving from work, that people are scrounging. This one that says, vile product of welfare UK. Many of you will remember this guy, Mick Philpott, who set fire to his own home. And many of his children died in that fire. But what a newspaper headline like that does, where it says, Vile Product of Welfare UK, is it intrinsically links the fact that he's on benefits to the awful thing that he has just done. As if the two of them are somehow linked. As if him being on welfare and benefits is the reason that he set fire to his house. And so sometimes these headlines that we read in our newspapers can influence us more than verses we read in our Bible. Even if we're Christians, sometimes if we're not careful, these, ver- these headlines can kind of saturate us. They can get in, they can start to shape how we think and how we feel about people in poverty in Britain today. And even for those of us who are involved in um, projects that care for the poor or involved through our workplaces in looking after those in need, we can find that our hearts get hardened to certain groups of people. And that's kind of what I want us to grapple with this morning, is what happens in our own hearts. Because God's heart for the poor is a heart issue. It's something that originates in the heart of God. And if we want to be people of mercy, it starts in our hearts and with our attitudes before it starts with our behaviour and our practical help for people. You know, I became a Christian when I was 15, and I didn't really understand much about God. If I'm honest with you, I don't think I really knew what I was doing when I became a Christian. Um, I just It seemed like a good idea at the time. I think I had no idea of how costly it would be and what God would ask from me. But also I had no idea of how wonderful it would be to discover this amazing mercy of God. When I became a Christian, I thought that the God of the Old Testament, the first section of the Bible, uh, was quite harsh and had all these rules and regulations, and it was just about doing as you're told. Follow this rule, follow that rule, and if you don't follow the rules, you know, you're in serious trouble, but if you do follow the rules, you'll do okay, and God will be kind to you. And then I thought, then we come to Jesus in the New Testament, and we see that he's so kind and so compassionate, and so I had this idea that maybe Jesus was kind of like a softer version of God the Father, maybe a fluffier version. I was completely wrong in my understanding of God the Father, because when we look at the Bible, we actually see that God's heart for the poor has been something that has been there for all time. Throughout the whole of human history, God has been especially concerned about showing mercy to the most vulnerable and the marginalised. You know, there are literally thousands of verses in the Bible about poverty and justice. You can buy a Bible called the Poverty and Justice Bible that highlights them all for you, So if a bit like me, you can be a bit lazy to find this stuff yourself, you can get hold of that version of the Bible and it will highlight them all for you. And you can barely turn a page without finding that God has something to say about poverty and justice issues. And in the Old Testament, in the law, in the rules and regulations that um, I've just mentioned, actually we see that when God was setting out how his people should live, when he was setting out how society should flourish, he makes great provision for those in need. So one of the rules is, he says about the law of gleaning, which is where farmers would gather up their crops and some would inevitably fall by the wayside as they did this. And they might have had a tendency to think, well, I'm going to go back and pick up everything that got dropped because then I'll have more food for myself and my family, more food that I can sell, so therefore I can make more money. But God said, don't do that. God said, don't pick up what gets dropped as you go along, but leave it for the poorest in your communities, that they might have some food. We also see that God said that wages should be paid immediately and not deferred. That interest shouldn't be charged on loans. Imagine that. Imagine how different our society would be. Imagine what Wonga... You know, it wouldn't have been around in the first place, would it? You wouldn't be able to charge 4,000% interest on a loan because it says actually interest shouldn't be charged on loans at all. And the reason God says that is so that people shouldn't be exploited at their time of need. It says that tithes were to be bought in not just for the priests, you know, not just for the church leaders, but for the poor. And there are two specific provisions that particularly demonstrate God's heart for the poor. One of them is the Sabbath year. It says in Deuteronomy 15 that in the Sabbath year, that's the seventh year, that all debt should be cancelled. Imagine again in our society what that would look like. If you were in overwhelming debt, and you could see nowhere out, debt is one of the biggest causes of suicide and marriage breakdown in this nation. Imagine if you knew that you only had to wait a maximum of seven years before your debts would be cancelled and you'd get a fresh start. It would give you hope, wouldn't it, in the middle of your crisis, And the second provision, which is in Leviticus 25, is the year of Jubilee. It's why the charity I work for is called Jubilee Plus. Because this said that um, every 50th year, all debts would be cancelled. Any Israelite who had had to put themselves into slavery would be set free. Anyone who'd had to give up their land, which would have also been their livelihood in this time, would have had it restored to them. And it would have been, they would have been released to go back to their family, go back to their land. Not only that, but God says when you let someone go free, when you restore to them their land in the year of Jubilee, give them from your crops, your wine and your livestock. So it's not just that it gets reset in the 50th year, it's you get a blessing so that you can get back on your feet again. Do you know what it means is that hope and grace and mercy were built into the entire way society was supposed to live under God's rule and reign. It meant that the extremes of wealth and poverty were modified because the rich couldn't go on getting richer and richer and richer at the expense of the poor. And the poor could never ever be in a hopeless state because they would know that restoration was coming and that freedom would be regained. And if that doesn't persuade you um, that God cares passionately about the poor, then we just need to look at Jesus. We see in the life of Jesus that he expended a huge amount of energy and time with those that society didn't care about, those that society had written off. In Luke 4, we see Jesus starts his whole ministry by proclaiming that he has brought good news for the poor. In fact, that he is good news for the poor. For Jesus, care for the poor wasn't a sideshow. It wasn't something he did when he got over the real business of you know, talking to people. It was something that was just intrinsic to his whole ministry. And likewise for us, care for the poor isn't a departmental thing that's for some Christians and not for others. It's not an optional extra that's for some of us. You know, I don't know how you feel about things like youth work. I used to do youth work when I was a bit younger. I don't want to upset any of our youth here. But nowadays I'm just glad that other people do it. (laughs) I am. I loved it when I did it. But now I'm too old. And I just, I just feel that, you know, I'm so glad that there are great people in my church who are committed to our youth work. And I pray for them and I bless them and I'm just glad that they're doing it and I don't have to anymore. Do you know what? Care for the poor isn't like youth work. Care for the poor is like worship. It's something that some people may be called to lead us into in a special way. Some people may be anointed to lead us in worship But all of us who are followers of Jesus are called to worship him. And care for the poor is like that. It's not an optional extra. It's not something that can be left to a few enthusiastic food bank volunteers or debt centre advisors. It's something that all of us who are following Jesus need to grow in and walk in and be growing in and getting um, more and more like Jesus in the way we express his heart to those in poverty. You might think, well, that's all well and good, but you still haven't answered the question of, well, what does that look like in our society today? And you're right, I haven't yet, but hopefully I will. I want us to look at two passages in the Bible. If you've got a Bible and you want to turn to them, um, I'll actually just get you to turn to the second one, which is Luke 15. But before we get to Luke 15, I'm going to read from 2 Samuel 9. The words are going to come up on the screen. I'm not going to read the whole chapter but just a few verses that give us the essence of the story. So in 2 Samuel 9 from verse 3, it says the king, that's David, asked, "Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness?" Ziba answered the king, "There is still a son of Jonathan. He's lame in both feet." And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. We know from an earlier passage in the Bible, in 2 Samuel 4, verse 4, it tells us how Mephibosheth became lame. It says that he became lame in both feet in an accident that happened to him when he was five years old. It says that his nurse picked him up to flee with him, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, if someone like Mephibosheth comes and asks me for help, I find it very easy to feel compassion and sympathy for someone like him. Mephibosheth was in need through no fault of his own. Something happened to him when he was five years old. He was a victim of circumstances beyond his control. There was nothing he could do about it. And he'd lived his life not being able to work, not being able to earn a living for himself. But there was no way around that. There was nothing he could have done differently. And also, do you notice how humble and grateful he is for David's kindness? He says, "Um, what is your servant that you should notice? A dead dog like me. I feel very comfortable helping people who have got into their situation through no fault of their own and who are extremely grateful for the help that they're being given. But then we come to another story in the Bible in Luke chapter 15. Many of us all know the story well. It's primarily about God's mercy and his loving kindness towards us. But I think it has application for us as we think about poverty in Britain today as well. So in Luke 15, verse 11, it says this, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while, his father, uh, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now here, if I'm honest with you, I think I'd have a bit more of a problem. Uh, We run a food bank in Hastings, and if someone came in and said, please can you help me, I'm starving to death. And I said, well, what happened to you? And they said, well, I squandered my wealth on wild living. Something in my heart happens that's very different to the way I respond to Mephibosheth. You know, we read about the prodigal son and he's in need entirely through his own fault. It says he squandered his wealth in wild living. And we find out later in the story from the older brother that some of what he spent his money on was prostitutes. His own bad decisions got him into this state. So imagine these two men come and say, will you help me? I don't know, if you're anything like me, like I say, something very different happens in my heart because my heart is very quick to look at the behaviour of the person in front of me and judge on that basis whether they're worthy of my help. And I think this is so relevant in our communities today where we are presented with these stark images of some people who deserve our help and some people who don't. Most of us, if we're really honest, will find that in our own hearts there's this scale of those who are deserving and those who are undeserving. You know, I could reel off a list of different people who've come to our food bank in Hastings, and as I do, just just think about what happens in your heart. Where do they go from deserving to undeserving? What about if a widowed mother of three comes through the door? A homeless person asking for change on the streets. What if the homeless person is asking for change on the streets while sipping from a can of lager and feeding their dog? What about an asylum seeker fleeing from persecution? Or an illegal immigrant who's come here to provide a better life for their family through accessing the NHS and education? What about a woman who's made redundant after 10 years in the same job and she's applied for 200 jobs and she just can't seem to catch a break? Or an unemployed person who has nine children and another one on the way? Most of us will find, if we're truly honest with ourselves, that we have a cut-off point for our compassion. That we have some groups of people we think are undeserving of our help. We 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 may be those who think that most people do deserve our help or that most people we want to help. But most of us will find there are some exceptions to that rule. For example, there's a woman in our food bank in Hastings and she says for her it's if people don't say thank you. She says some people come into the food bank and act like they have a right to the food that they're being given, and then they leave and they don't even say thank you. And she says what happens in her heart then is she wants to chase them out the door and say, give the food back because you're not grateful for it. So how many of us can identify with that? I know for me, if I hold the door open for someone and they don't say thank you, do you know any of you like this? If you hold the door open and someone doesn't say thank you, you want to shut the door in their face. (laughs) (laughs) It's just me. (laughs) Then you can all pray for me later. (laughs) You know, I, I also do that thing where if you let someone go in the car and they don't do that polite little hand wave at you, sometimes I've been known to go like this at them to make the point that you're supposed to thank me for the nice thing that I just did. Do you know what? It's not godly. Just being honest with you about it, it isn't. But we're so prone to it, aren't we? We're so prone to dismiss people if they're not grateful for what we do for them. For me, it was actually... um, I was living in China for a while, and where this kind of hit home for me is we were told not to give money to kids who were begging on the streets, which sounds quite harsh, but the first time I did it, I found out why. It's because if you give to one, you will suddenly be surrounded by literally dozens of children. And I'm quite short, so most of them would be about my height. Um, And you'd be surrounded. And I didn't have the language to say, I don't have enough for everyone. And they didn't speak any English, so they didn't understand. They just saw wealth because of being a Westerner and thought you must be able to help. So you learn to harden your heart and not give two kids who asked you for money on the street. But one night I was out with some friends and this kid came up to me and he just looked so dirty and dishevelled. He had this massive smile but he was in filthy rags of clothes that were falling off him that had holes in them. Um, He was filthy and he was about that tall. He was probably about six or seven years old and I looked around. I couldn't see any of the kids and I just something in my heart was moved. I wanted to help him. And so I gave him some money, and then I watched as he went over to a street stall and bought himself a rice cake, just a little round thing, kind of about that big. And I'll be honest with you, what was going on inside me at the time, in the kind of the split second in which this was happening, I was thinking, oh, I'm really pleased he's getting some food. Aren't I good? Haven't I just done a nice deed? Um, I'm a a good person. And I saw him take this rice cake over to a woman, who I assume was his mum, and give it to her, and she broke off a small piece. And again, just in the few seconds in which this was happening, I thought, that's good, she's going to get a little bit too. I'm really pleased that you know I'm helping two people, not just one. Um, And then I saw as she gave the small piece to the child, and she ate the big piece, which was about 90% of this rice cake. And something happened in my heart instantly where I was absolutely outraged. I was like, how can you take food from a child who looks in that state. Do you know what? It didn't even uh, cross my mind that maybe someone else had already helped them that night. Maybe I was the second person to help and the child had already eaten and now the mother was going to eat. It didn't cross my mind that maybe she was so weak and frail. And you know like when you're on a plane, they say put your own oxygen mask on before you help someone else. Maybe it was like that. Maybe she had to carry him somewhere to safety and she was feeling so weak that she was like, I've got to eat to do that. It also didn't even... I didn't even think, well, how desperate would you have to be if she was doing what I thought she was doing, which was taking food from a child? None of those thoughts went through my head. I went to outrage and indignation straight away. And what happened inside me was I thought, if I'd known that was going to happen, I wouldn't have given the money to that child. So in a moment, I wrote off not only the woman, but also the child as deserving of my help. And I share this with you because, you know, I'm ashamed of my reaction, but I think for many of us, it's it's what comes out of us in those situations. It's what happens in those circumstances. So what should our responses be? What can we learn from the story of Mephibosheth and the prodigal son about how we should react to people, even if they've made their own situation, or even if they're not grateful, or even if they don't respond in the way we would want them to? Well, I think firstly that while Mephibosheth and the prodigal son stand in stark contrast to one another, you know, one clearly in, um, in dire need through his own fault, and one clearly not through anything to do with his own fault at all, actually the father figure in both stories acts in exactly the same way. King David in the story of Mephibosheth and the father of the prodigal son, they were both looking out. It says in the story of Mephibosheth that David was looking to show God's kindness to someone. Notice that, not his own kindness. He was looking to show God's kindness to someone. So it isn't just that David was a nice guy. He was looking for someone to show the kindness of God to. And actually, it's incredible, really, because we can look at Mephibosheth and think, well, he he deserved it because it wasn't his fault. But actually, his grandfather had tried to kill David on more than one occasion, So David could have, I think most of us would have understood if David would have said, I'm not helping you. Your family, your granddad, he tried to kill me. I'm not helping you. Yet he doesn't. And in the story of the prodigal son, it says, the father spotted his son while he was still a long way off. His immediate response was kindness and mercy. I don't think that had been my immediate response. I'd like to think I might have got there eventually, but I think I would have started with, told you this would happen. Do you get the error of your ways? Are you sorry? Do you realise that, you know, this could have been avoided if you just stayed with me in the first place? I think I'd have seen it as a teaching opportunity. A way to help someone. Just be a bit better in the future. Actually, the father's immediate response is to pour out kindness and mercy, to lavish it on his son. So we can see in the Bible that God's always been especially concerned about the poor. But I think what these stories show us is that in God's kingdom, mercy and compassion have everything to do with the giver and very little to do with the recipient. The compassion and mercy of Jesus is based on who he is, not on the object of his kindness. And you know, when we're asking whether or not we should help someone, it's so easy for us to look at the person in front of us, to look at the person who needs our help. But if you're a Christian here today, you're called not to look at the person in front of you, but to look at Jesus Christ, to look at how he has treated you and how he treated the poorest. You know, Jesus interacted with those on the margins of society, the prostitutes, the unclean lepers, the shunned beggars, even the despised tax collectors. You know, for some of us here who've got an incredible heart of mercy for the poor, where we struggle is to have a heart of mercy for the powerful. And actually, if we're following Jesus, we're called to be those who bring mercy to both the poor and the powerful. And actually, that's what sets us apart from the world. It's not just, lots of people want to help the poor. Lots of people, you know, Christians don't have the monopoly on that. But I think what does make us different is that we're those who can want to see the slave come to know Jesus and find mercy and grace. And to see the slave trader come to know Jesus and find that same mercy and grace. One of the best baptisms we've ever had in King's Church, Hastings, is where we baptised um, a guy who'd been in prison in the same meeting as we baptised the police officer who'd originally arrested him. And that is the gospel. That is the heart of Jesus, is that actually the, both the um, exploited and abused and poor and marginalised and those who have done the exploiting And abusing and pushed people into poverty, both come to know the mercy of Jesus Christ. Now I'm not saying that we don't think about the type of help we offer. I think we should. But so often we talk about that as well we need to be wise with what help we give to people. And what we really mean is we just need to be a bit cynical. That's that's sometimes what we really I know that's sometimes what happens in my own heart. I say, Well, I just want to be wise. But really I'm being cynical. And sometimes I'm getting mixed up about what's my role. Because you know what? God calls me to be merciful and compassionate and generous in a way that is radical and outrageous and makes other people go, you shouldn't be doing that. That's what God has called me to. That means if I give money to someone holding up a sign saying, why lie, I want beer. Actually, I want to be merciful and kind and compassionate and generous to that guy. What he does with it is down to him. But actually what God has called me to is show him something of the mercy of Jesus. You know, the Bible doesn't shy away from the fact that there are various reasons why people fall into poverty, including through their bad decisions that they have made. But do you know what the Bible never says? Is, you made your bed, go lie in it. Jesus has never said that to me. And I'm so grateful for that. Because if he had, well, that's another story. (laughs) It says that Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. How do we feel when we see the crowds? Do we think, well, you made your bed? Or do we think you're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? You know, society treats people based on their behaviour. Christians are called to treat people based on God's behaviour, based on his character, Based on who he is, we're not looking at the same things the world looks at. We're not asking the question, Do you deserve my help? But like King David in the story, How can I show you the kindness of God today? It's a fundamentally different starting place. And I love this quote from Billy Graham that says, It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to judge, and my job to love. So often I get my job wrong. I find it comes way more naturally to me to judge than it does to love but that's not my job it's not what God's called me to to those outside the church God has called me to love them you know in Micah 7 verse 18 it says that God delights to show mercy he delights to show mercy we don't have to twist his arm to do it we don't have to plead with him and beg him to do it it's something he absolutely loves to do it and Jesus said to his followers in Luke 6 verse 36 be merciful be merciful just as your father is merciful this isn't something that oh oh no now i've got to go and be merciful to people it's something we get this amazing privilege of being like the father in doing we get to be like him and delight to show mercy to that astonishes those around us we get to show god's kindness you know when we read the story of mephibosheth so often we read that story and we put ourselves in the place of Mephibosheth. We we say that's about me. I'm someone who didn't deserve the kindness of God. And now God has shown it to me. He's poured it out upon me. But you know what? If you're a follower of Jesus here today, then your role in the story has changed. You're no longer Mephibosheth. You now get to be like King David. You now get to be like the Father. You get to be those who dispense mercy wherever you go. In your family, in your workplace, in the church, in social action projects, as you pass people on the streets who are asking for money, you get to dispense mercy, left, right and centre, to be a mercy bringer. It's an amazing privilege that we have as the people of God, that we get to bring mercy to those that society would disregard, would tell us don't deserve it. We get to reflect Jesus to those around us by showing mercy both where it's deserved and where it isn't. We get to be different to society, to the media, who say, tell me why you deserve my help. And instead, we get to say, I didn't deserve the mercy that I've been shown, but God showed it to me anyway. So let me show you his mercy and kindness today. I'd love to pray for those of us who know that we need more of the mercy of God. So if you feel like, do you know what, I want to be more merciful. I want to be more compassionate. I want to be more like Jesus in this way. Could I just ask you to stand quickly? If you're comfortable to lift your hands, why don't you do that? Or do whatever helps you kind of receive from God and meet with God. God, we are so grateful for your outrageous, radical mercy to us. Help us to see it more clearly. How astonishing it is that you would have ever shown us mercy. Those of us that the Bible says were your enemies, and yet you've lavished mercy and compassion and kindness on us. Thank you, you've never said to us, you made your bed, go lie in it. But actually, your word says that your goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our lives thank you that for many of us our story will be that we have gone into, we've wandered from you and your mercy's followed us. We found ourselves in painful places, sometimes because of decisions we made and sometimes because of things done to us. But every place we found ourselves, your mercy has followed us. And God, let us be those who, who chase others with your mercy, who, who pursue others with your mercy, who bring mercy to those around us. God, I pray you'd This morning, do something in each one of our hearts. I know I need it. Would you make us more like you? Would you give us more of your mercy? Would you align our hearts with yours? And would you give us opportunities, even this week, to show mercy to people that we might have previously not shown it to? Or to go further than we might have gone before? To be more outrageous, to be more radical in the mercy that we show to others? To not ask, do they deserve it? But to just ask, how can I show the kindness of God to you today? God, would you help us? We, we can only do this by your Holy Spirit. So would you come and equip us now, empower us? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.